0: Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are, it is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining me on Jen Taylor Rerouting. My goal is that every guest becomes a friend and I feel truly blessed to know the people that I've interviewed. If you want to know more information about me from being a guest on this show to my virtual assistant services for podcasters, or perhaps you want to be a published author, I have coaching and ghostwriting services for that. You can find everything that you want to know on jentaylor.net. Remember to give a shout out, share, like. Give me some feedback on all of my interviews. I'm happy to join in on conversation with you. Have a great day. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing uh, and having as my guest, Olivia Baylor. Olivia, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. We were glitching out here because uh, I had a toilet leak, which is always, life is always exciting. Mm-hmm. And you actually have a website called liferevisions.com. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay,
1: so I offer um, counseling in Catonsville, Maryland. Um, I work with LGBTQ, heterosexual couples as well, um, LGBTQ and polyamorous couples. Um, And I also work with some individuals that are going through gender identification.
0: How did you begin that journey? You are a therapist. You have lots of letters behind your name. Explain to me all the letters behind your name so people know. (laughs)
1: okay so um the l c p c so I'm licensed in the state of Maryland to practice okay. um the n c c is the national certified counselor, so I had to take that lovely long exam <laughs> to get those three titles at the end of my name and the d c c means I'm a certified distance counselor um sometimes when I work with a couple of uh individuals who may be in the military um if they're on base in their home state is Maryland, they will you know, see me for therapy. Um, if I have some business uh, individuals who are in the corporate field, um, sometimes they can't actually make it into the office for therapy. Just that drive from their office building to my office is just too much for them, time-wise. Uh, we'll conduct therapy via video session. So similar to this.
0: Yes, I didn't know I was getting therapy today. <laughs> So you grew up in New Jersey and I'm from New England also. So I understand people that are not from New England don't understand what a different attitude there is. When were you born? Um, I was born what year? 1984. Okay. That just gives people an idea because they can't see us. Uh, So 1984 in New Jersey and tell me what that was like because you had a Nigerian dad and I'm thinking that was a strong influence so let's start going through that process, that that history
1: yes I come from a very unique uh, background uh, my father is Nigerian um, and has some um, Spanish in him as well which is a whole nother story um, <laughs> and my mother is actually from South Carolina so she is a very strict southern woman um, and I was raised in New Jersey, so I didn't have the same amount of opportunity as other kids who could run around and just, oh, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll come back, you know, 9, 10 o'clock. My parents were very strict when it came to education. Um, they were very strict when it came to following rules. Um, and I did cause a little bit of struggle as I was growing up, but now as an adult, I appreciate it because I, I kind of see what they were trying to do
0: what now a southern belle how did they meet
1: (laughs) um so when my father came over um to the states he actually was uh he joined the military um so he's a vietnam veteran and um when he was in base in um south carolina i can't remember the exact base that he was at um he went out you know they would go out to party and my mom was there and she met him at the same time She always used to say, I really didn't like your father when I first met him. (laughs) He was just a very cocky individual, but it works out. You know, they're the yin and the yang. Um, She can be very calm at times, but she can also be very strict. Um, And he's come from just very strict. He's just strict all all around, Um, very structured type of a person.
0: Okay, so... You weren't allowed to do as much as other kids. You're talking about freedom in yeah. going out and doing stuff. Did you go to prom? Did, what could you and could you not do?
1: Um, I did go to prom. You know, I could go out with my friends, but my parents were very big on knowing the parents of my friends. Um, they knew my friends at the same time. They were like, if I'm not friends with your friends, it's not happening. <laughs> if I don't know who their parents are and I'm not friends with their parents, you're not going out with them. Um, they just came from an area, you know, where my mom in the South, it was, don't trust everybody. And my dad who came from Nigeria, it's like, you don't trust everybody. So they were strict on, I, you know, I wasn't able to like, just jump on the bus and go places. As you know, in New Jersey, public transportation is very easily accessible. Um, it wasn't something that we did. My parents took me there, watched me walk out, you know, and so forth. So... It um, did create, sometimes with my friends, they were like, well, how come you can't just go um, and just meet us there? It was like, nope, either your parents have to come and pick me up or my parent has to drop me off. Right.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, that was pretty strict back then because we were kind of given free reign in the 80s to, you know, that it wasn't the same as it is now. Now we should be meeting the parents and we tend to not do it. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was probably a lot safer, and yeah, the public transportation was amazing. So, did you have siblings? Yes, I have three brothers. Tell me where you are in order.
1: Um, I'm the youngest and the only girl, so I'm the baby of the family.
0: Was that, that must have made things worse then. Oh, it did. Very, very uh,
1: very
0: <laughs> <good>. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that did not make things easier for you. And then now you live in Maryland. Now tell me about college. They were very big on education. That that clearly turned out well for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I went to my brothers went to public school,
1: but my um, families felt that you know these were they were boys, so they can handle the public school environment. Uh, me as a girl, when it came to my time to go to. I was in elementary school, and they put me in a private elementary school around fourth grade or so. Um, And then when it was time for me to go to high school, and for everybody out there in New Jersey, when I went to school, K through eight was one school. Now it's you know elementary and middle, but we all went to one school. When it was time for me to go to high school, my brother said, nope, she's not going to a public high school. She needs to go to a private high school. Um, So I went to a private high school, After that, I went and went to undergrad in uh, uh, psychiatry in Pittsburgh, uh, which was another private college. Um, Once I left there, I went to get my master's at University of Baltimore in criminal justice. And then I went back to school and got my master's in mental health therapy um, from Capella University. So my parents always pushed for, you don't want to repeat the cycle that we were in. You know, my grandmother, she only had a third grade education. Um, My mom and my dad at the time when they were raising us, they didn't um, have, they went to some college, but they didn't finish. Um, And so they waited until, you know, me and my three brothers got done with school before they went back to school. My dad is actually going for his doctorate now. And yeah, (laughs) and my mom went back for her early childhood education degree, but they waited until we were done. So they kept telling us, we don't want you to repeat what happened in the past. We want to advance further. And that was something my grandmother pushed too, Uh, my maternal grandmother. Don't, you know, I don't want you to have just a third grade education. I want you to have more than that because I want more to come from you and your family. Um, So they pushed education very much for us.
0: Did they see that, I think, as a way out? I mean, your dad in Nigeria, there's a lot of, political unrest there and uh, a skewed caste system. Mm-hmm. And then in the South with your mom, I don't know what that was like for her growing up, but there weren't as many opportunities. Yeah. Especially for a woman, especially a, for a woman of color, that was not something that she was probably even able to do the, to the extent that you were. Yeah. So uh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you feel less sheltered? Because you went from private school with three older brothers watching out for you. Yeah. <laughs> and then you went right to private college. So when, how not opened were your, were your eyes to the world around you? How sheltered were you? And then when did that start to shift?
1: Well, I was not say I was you know, too sheltered to the point where I didn't understand the world. That was one thing my parents did teach us very much. Um, My dad was really big on traveling. We would travel together as a family, but we would just get in the minivan and we would do, you know, drives down to this part of, you know, the state and then turn around and go to other places. So my parents opened my eyes to reality versus, you know, you know, fact versus fiction. My parents were very open on When you see somebody who might be homeless on the street, don't automatically assume that that person is addicted to drugs and they've just given up on life. Um, My dad was a veteran, so he talked about when they came back from Vietnam, why a lot of them that are on the street are Vietnam veterans because of the fact that pretty much when they came back, they were treated like garbage. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they opened my eyes to that. Now, when I went to Pittsburgh, I would say it was a different viewpoint of just I want to say like racial differences you know growing up in New Jersey I had somebody in class who could have been Hispanic sitting next to me somebody who was Native American somebody who was Asian you know it was race wasn't really brought to my attention as much until I went to Pittsburgh um and that's when it kind of knocked me off my feet <laughs> And I realized the the major um, differences in the world, as opposed to it's very different, very very different. It's not, you know, I I went to prom with somebody who was German, um, but then I also had you know one of my close friends is Italian. It was it was not like an issue. Um, We understood each other's family, we respected each other's culture, we didn't have that um, dislike for one another. And we even talk about it now when I connect with a lot of them how much our society has changed and how we were kind of, in a sense, almost all of us were sheltered in that private school because we were given advantages of interacting with multiple cultures that we didn't really get to see what else was out there in the world. Um, So after college, we kind of all, I want to say everybody in my school, it was 27 of us that graduated. Um, You you know, all of us that kind of said, wow, you know, this is, (laughs) This is kind of, you know, amazing that this is happening like this
0: and sad at the same time. I think that's something that's really common. I was born in 70s, so quite a bit before you. But we were raised exactly like you said, just multicultural. I grew up in a Portuguese neighborhood and there was never any thought given to different cultures or different races or like nothing. It was just an accepted. And I think that's because when people come from other countries and they kind of settle into new England, which is pretty common. Um, we get each other, everyone kind of gets each other because they've all, they may have come from a different country and settled, but they, they've done that same process. So I don't remember. I wasn't raised and I'm, I'm wondering if this is similar with you. I wasn't raised to not be prejudiced. It didn't exist. Prejudice just didn't exist. It wasn't a conversation we had because nobody was mean to someone else based on their skin color or their culture ever. And I didn't know it existed until my second year of college when I moved out West and it was against people that were Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Hawaii and I was the blonde one and it was against me. And then I moved to the South and it was against people of color. And I thought, holy cow, this is everywhere. But New England tends to be this pocket of complete acceptance. Mm-hmm. is that kind of what you found also yeah yeah we I mean we had accepted we had multicultural days at school and mm-hmm.
1: you know we would have um you know block parties and we would get to eat Hispanic food we would get to eat right. Jamaican food we weren't like biased to it and no. you're right it, it's not until you kind of leave that area and you know I want to say like New Jersey has those small towns mm-hmm. and it's like in the small towns when I was growing up I could walk down the street and I could point to multiple different people that I knew right it's not really the same now you know of course I've been gone too long um and it's just changed overall but it seemed like um that's kind of lost that small town I mean it's not really that small um but like we just had that relationship with one another Mm -hmm. and we didn't disrespect one another and I feel like that you're right I mean I'm in Maryland, they don't want to, a lot of people don't like to call Maryland the South, but it is the South. It's past the Mason-Dixon line, so it is the South. Um, but even here, it's, you know, very prevalent. There are areas that you can go to that you could tell there's a majority in that area. Um, and you won't get the stairs necessarily, but it, you're aware of where you are
0: very it's very different it's so sad because i was in portuguese and man those women could cook and i loved yes. growing up in portuguese <laughs> my mother could not cook mm-hmm. um i just thought it was it was cool it was fun mm-hmm. that everybody was different and that was something that that was the common thread that we were all so different i think growing up i was in rhode island Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's sad that we've lost that. And that was part of the safety and going from houses to house. I Man, you did not mess with those women. Yeah. Nobody would have messed with any of us, you know, because those Portuguese moms or Italian moms. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your, the Nigerian input in your background. And you were raised more inner city, but you were in a private school. So there's a complete dichotomy there. Yeah. So I have all these questions. <laughs> okay
1: so um you know my dad made sure unfortunately i'm not really good with the language um but overall my dad made sure that he instilled certain things from him that he was raised with which is respecting of the elders respect your culture don't forget your culture um don't forget ever from where you came from so i you know every time i go back to new jersey i stop by my old house i stop by and i see my friends i always um you know, call my friends. I remember the people who were there for me all those times ago. Um, and the people who, you know, are there for me now, but he never wanted me to forget those people. It's like, if you ever, you know, one day hit mega millions or win the lottery, those are the people that got you to the point where you got from point A to point B. So you can't forget them. Um, He also really pushed in us, um, you know, just making sure that we manage our money well and don't spend it on something that you don't need. My father was very tight with his money. Um, He still is. But it was like, if you don't need it, don't buy it. Um, And, you know, he really just influenced education. He really pushes for us to learn um, and just continue to read and continue to just be aware of things around us and aware of the environment and the people that are around us. Um, You know, him and my mom always kind of pushed us to kind of go off of our internal feelings. Like if we connect with somebody, we don't feel that we have a connection with them. We're just like, oh, that person's a little bit off. My dad's like, stay away.
0: Yeah. Stay away. That's an amazing thing to teach. And so, out of curiosity, how have you carried the the financial thing? Because what, as time's gone on since you were raised, consumerism is becoming a bigger and bigger deal. I'm a minimalist, so I don't buy anything I don't need, and it doesn't even bother me not to buy stuff. But that's a really hard thing for people. How has that transferred into your life now? Well, I'm, uh, you know, something I
1: got from my mom is uh, when I was a kid,
0: I used to go so be so angry whenever
1: I went to the grocery store with my mother she would have this big old thick envelope of coupons. And, um, you know, my mom would always say, you know, when you get older, you're laughing at this now, but when you get older, you will say to me, oh, I understand why you had that big pack. Um, As I've gotten older, I I did go through that time where, you know, in college they threw the credit cards at you. Um, But then I started looking at my finances and I said, wait a minute, I plan on buying a house. So I have goals that I set for myself. And I know that in order for me to meet those goals, one of the things that I cannot have hanging over me is finances. Mm. Um, so I went ahead and paid off all the credit cards and I got rid of them. And I kept two credit cards that I have, you know, the limits are like $300 on nothing major. When I buy things, my friends that know me, they're like, Oh, Olivia is cheap. I am cheap. I <laughs> will be happy to be cheap. I'm cheap when it comes to buying those things, but I'm also, you know, am smart about how I buy things. Um, so I can still buy, deter- I'm not going to buy detergent that I know is not going to wash my clothes. I can still buy like the Tide, but I'm going to buy it with a coupon or I'm going to buy it when it's on sale. And then I bulk buy. Um, so before I had my kids, I had a pretty decent uh, stash of items, probably about one room full. And then, as they have begun to get older, that stash has dwindled down, and we're starting to, you know, pick it back up again. But um, what I, I, I just reevaluated—I I say to myself whenever I purchase things now—is it something that I need, and I'm not going to regret later, um, and am I going to be angry at myself that I spent the money on it?
0: So, tell me about meeting your husband, and you do have two children. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me about that. So I met my husband actually um, for one semester before
1: I went to LaRoche College. I was at uh, Hood College in Maryland, um, and I actually met my husband there. He was friends with um, another girl that, at the time, I was friends with. lived in the dorm building, so she was he was their best friends. Um, and he came up for. No, first he used to call. He would call and just talk to her over the phone, and I would be in her room sometimes, and I would answer the phone. Um, and we would just have like a five minute conversation if she wasn't there and it became more and more frequent to the point where he was like, well, you know what, we're having these conversations. Let me just get your phone number. Um, and so he would call me sometimes he would, you know, then call her and it was like, we had a friendship, um, came up to visit at the school. We interacted. Um, and then later on, we, it got to the point where one time he was like, you know, wouldn't it be funny if, you know, um. Oh, I think I remember I said to him, wouldn't it be funny if, she was my best friend at the time, I said, well, wouldn't it be funny if, you know, I'm her best friend, and you know, you're her best friend, and then we got together, wouldn't that be funny? He was like, no, because I've liked you since day one, and <laughs> the next day after that, we started dating, so <laughs> it kind of began that process
0: together. Wow, okay, so what a cool way to meet somebody. How did your best friend react? Um, she was not happy at
1: first. <laughs> um, because she really didn't want. I guess you know now those, those draw those lines were drawn. You know it was it used to be before where she could say something about him to me, and then I she could say something. You know it it was like now she knew that she couldn't get into that uh um, that middle. She got a little bit angry. Now I don't interact with her anymore. Um, and or he he still talks to her, but I don't. Uh, but. It mainly came down to the fact that she felt like she was losing her friends because we would do things together and we didn't invite her. So that friendship, she struggled with understanding these are, we're together in a relationship. We're no longer like, you know, I can't take you on an event with me and then leave him at home. We're dating. So (laughs) it was a little bit difficult for her to understand. So tell me about your kids. So I have my uh, two boys. they are unique in so many different ways. Um, (laughs) Both of them have two different personalities. You have the one that's kind of um, to himself and uh, he's more of a a bookie type kid. So he likes to read books. He's big on science right now. He likes to figure out how things work. So he asks a lot of questions about, oh, well, how can I do this? And, And how can I do that? And Um, he's really big right now on learning about the earth and the world and the moon and the stars. Um, and my other son is more, uh, we always call him like more of the sporty type kid. He's very outspoken. He goes to a room and you can see him walk in the door, very lively, um, very active, always bouncing around and doing something. Um, And he's more of like the video game kid, so he can figure out how to play a video game um, and, you know, how to um, (laughs) figure out how to get a certain character or uh, cheats within a game. So their minds work differently when it comes to things. One's an outside kid, one's an indoor kid, but it
0: works well with the two of them them together. And how how old are they? They're six and seven. Okay. So tell me about your biggest struggles, because I... I kind of know a little bit about what they are. Well, you know, a lot of the
1: biggest struggles that I've had is, um, working in Maryland in the area that I am, uh, there are other therapists who are women of color there. Um, but they're not really prevalent in working with the LGBTQ community. And so I have gotten some backlash from it and just working with, you know, polyamorous couples. Um, Maryland doesn't always want to come off as a very, um, Maryland, I want to say, overall, is kind of a very religious area. Um, you have some people who um, say, oh, no, I, I, can, I work with all populations, but we already know that they don't. <laughs> um, I've talked to therapists behind closed doors who are like, I don't know how you can work with that population. And it's a struggle because, like, they're people. Um, And you're looking at them based off of one thing, you know, if it's a person that comes there is polyamorous, they're coming there for not, they don't want judgment. They want to feel like that they can come to you and not get judgment, but you give them judgment as soon as you answer the phone and say, no, I don't work with that population. Um, And they, you know, I feel like that therapist don't ever try. So that's usually the internal, the struggle that I have is being able to one find therapists who i as when I can refer somebody to somebody, I have to have a connection with them. I have to feel like I know that person, that they're actually a good person. Um, it's always a struggle of really finding that therapist that's like, oh, they're a good person. Um, and at the same time, just being accepted within the community. I'm young. I understand that. A lot of the therapists in the area are way older. Um, and there's some therapists around my age. But, you know, the ones who are... Um, have been in the field a lot of time. They, they don't look at the younger generation and say, oh, they're a good therapist. They look at them like, oh, here are these young kids that don't have this experience. Right. So it's always that struggle of trying to find that acceptance and understanding within the community um, and just amongst therapists overall.
0: So your, your struggle at work is more among your peers than it is among the people that you are counseling.
1: Yeah, it's not, you know, the the population I love working with the population and and my clients I love working with them. It's more of the outside population, the the therapists in the area. It's it's sad because um we are in a field where we're there to help people, but sometimes we forget about considering one another, um and listening to one another. Um and a lot of therapists will say whatever they want to say and not think or wonder about the actual person that you're talking to. Um, and, and that's a lot of times the struggle with this field. It's, it's just that people
0: don't listen to one another. So how did you start working with the populations that you're working with? Because like you said, a lot of therapists don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, excuse me, I started, I was always working with heterosexual couples. I had did that when um, I was at a outpatient mental health clinic. Um, but I started working more with the LGBTQ plus community because I, first I had a friend who identified as a transgender, um, and she was dealing with a lot of difficulty with acceptance from other people, even acceptance from a therapist. Like she didn't feel as though when she went to her therapist, she actually listened to her. Um, there were always gender therapists around. But um, because of where, and at the time we were in Pittsburgh, because of where we were at, um, she couldn't really find that therapist that she needed. Um, So she felt sheltered and, and closed off, like, you know, well, who can I go to? And I saw that and I was trying to figure out why it was so hard for her. And when I started going into therapy, it was a lot of times from when I was in the criminal justice field as well. So I had my friend who was transgender, then I was working in um, uh, group homes, and a lot of the kids that were in the group home identified as either, either gay or lesbian. Um, and when I would talk to them, I would ask them about why they you know, were in the group home. Um, a lot of them is because you know, their parents just said, I can't deal with them anymore, their behaviors are out of control. But it wasn't really that. It fell under the lack of acceptance from their family family putting them out, um, kids lashing out because they didn't have a voice and they didn't have anybody to talk to. And I became kind of that person in the group home, but I didn't have the qualifications for it at the time when I was there, I only had the um, bachelor's degree. So I went off and first started with the criminal justice degree because I wanted to understand the criminal justice system and how these kids were getting looped into the system without acknowledging their mental health issues And then I went into the mental health uh, field to kind of tie it all together. Um, And now I kind—I have a better understanding of why some individuals who are adults have become adults because they were criminal—well, not criminals, but they were involved in criminal activity when they were kids. Um, And I just work with the population, understand, and be there for them. You know, I'm an ally to the population, um, but I'm there to support them.
0: Holy cow. So that was a really an indirect route to how you started doing what you're doing. Yeah. So as far as working, you have this challenge to meet the needs of a community that's not having their needs met in lots of ways. Is that a challenge to you? It is because, you know, sadly, a lot of
1: therapists don't go for the necessary training. Um, And if somebody is coming to you and they are dealing with anxiety and you're an anxiety specialist, you should be able to work with somebody because they identify as being gay or lesbian or bisexual. It shouldn't be, well, I can't really work with them because they are gay, lesbian, or bisexual, even though their issue is something that I specialize in. And that's what I hear a lot. Um, I don't specialize in every avenue of, you know, mental health diagnosis that a person may have. So I do have to refer out a lot. But um I always try to make sure that the client is aware, like when you find that person, that therapist, make sure that they're actually gonna be working with you for you, and not based off of anything else that um they may look to and say, Well, I don't agree with it. I hear a lot of, you know, I don't agree with it, but I'll work with them. That that's not <laughs> that's not helping them. <laughs> um why do you want to work with them? Have you ever interacted with the population before? Have you, you know been there when they've gone through their struggles like how can you justify helping if you haven't even tried to walk in their shoes not saying we can ever feel them but just
0: even walk next to them how easy was it or difficult was it for you to start from where you came from and i understand your curiosity because of the criminal background and having friends and stuff but you're a heterosexual couple Mm -hmm what were what were the difficulties in understanding this this other population that can sometimes be quite different? And you're right, it has other mental health issues. Was that pretty easy for you or what were your struggles with that? It was pretty easy for me because of the fact that I have
1: been around individuals who have been in the population before. So I didn't view it as this is like a new population. Like the same way where I looked at it from race. I had been around somebody who you know, I've had, my best friend was Asian and, you know, I have been around the Asian family and their cultures and their understanding. So if I interact with somebody who is Asian, I know not to automatically assume that that person is Chinese when they could be Filipino. You know, I, it was not ever a concern because I had been exposed to it before and I had accepted it. Um, I feel like a large part of People's lack of understanding is that they don't interact with other people. They don't learn from other people. We have to learn in order to grow. Um, And and for example, like the therapists, some therapists I've worked with that told me, I don't even understand why I have to use the pronoun of she when they're not a she. Well, that is what they have asked you to use. It is their, you know, God-given right to use that pronoun. Um, And you respect that person and you use their pronoun. Um, And that is how they identify. It's not based off of what you feel like they should identify. It's how they identify themselves. Um, And so it's really a struggle with, it wasn't really a struggle getting into the community and working with the community. They knew that it was coming from a place within my heart. Mm -hmm. It was more harder for the clinicians to understand it overall than actually the clients
0: themselves. Got it, and you're right. Coming from the cultural background like you did, it wouldn't. It's just a different culture mm-hmm. for you, so that makes perfect sense. So, what's your biggest struggle? There's a lot of work that can be done. Yeah. With with all the letters behind your name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's your struggle with balancing that with your family?
1: Um, well, it was a struggle when I first went into practice. I mean, I was working on. The weekends at times, I was seeing clients late at night and coming home at um, eight, nine o'clock at night. And my husband, you know, sat me down and said, you just, you can't help everybody. You just have to set some boundaries with yourself because we also have kids as well. Um, and they're a priority. You won't get this time back. And so I, I evaluated everything. I went and I got myself an incredible secretary. Um, I went ahead and I uh, moved office spaces to somewhere that, you know, basically was my space. I was sharing a space uh, before, um, and I got my own space, my own door, own key. <laughs> um, and then I cut back my hours. So now I only work Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, I don't work Fridays so that I can just either take care of the house or watch my shows with my feet up. Um, I don't work Monday so that I can do the same thing. I go to my kids' school sometime um, and, you know, we'll either hang out with them in the cafeteria or anytime they have a school activity, I've made sure that either I am there or my husband is there. And if either one of us can't go because of work, um, you know, obligations, my mom will actually go and she will be there. So we make sure that the kids know somebody's going to be there for you when you need something. Um, and I usually am done by, I go in at nine and I'm done with my last client at 6.45 and I'm back home. Um, and this is the pattern that I've had. And I made sure when I step in the house, um, except for with my book, and I will admit that with my book, when I've stepped in the house, I've had to work on it. But um, without, since uh, before my book, when I walk in the house, that's it. I don't pull out my phone and do any notes or anything anymore. I put that away. My kids know work is at work, and when I come home, I'm at home. On the
0: weekends, they have my undivided attention and time. I love this. I think, as a therapist, you probably see this far more than I do, especially as women, especially as moms, especially as people who work, right? We don't value self care anymore, or setting boundaries, or saying no. I have no problem saying no. But how long does it take us to get to the point where we're comfortable saying no to stuff? And it's not because I can't or I'm busy because I don't want to, because yeah. it's not a priority. So how hard was it for you to make that shift? Cause that's a big one for women. Yeah. It was hard for
1: me to do that first because it, it was, you know, I was starting off the business and I, I said, you know, I have to have these hours open. I felt like I have to in order for me to meet certain needs financially um, as well as get my name out of community. So when people would call and say, oh, well, can you come and have a session at eight o'clock? I would just say, oh yeah, sure. You know, it wasn't like, no, I can't because I have a family at home and I'm going to be tired when I wake up the next morning for my next client. Um, I've even adjusted it even more. You know, I used to go in at eight o'clock and I stopped going in that early for safety reasons because I would get out there so early and it's so dark. Um, and you know, I'm you know, I'm not that tall, um, but you know, I'm a female just walking into my office by myself, so I stopped it. I said, No, I'm gonna set these certain boundaries and I'm gonna stick to them. Um, and my secretary has been really good with making sure that I stay with those boundaries. I told her when I hired her, I need to make sure that if you know, if you don't see me having lunch on a day, you need to make sure you add it in there. So she puts it in my schedule, and if a client calls and says, Hey um does she have any time that's the only time I have open she would tell them no she does not have any time open um she's you know I had it was very very hard because I felt like I was failing my clients at the same time um but then I reevaluated myself and I I realized I said I'm not going to be any good for my clients if I'm not good for myself So when I go back to work on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, I'm well rested. My mind is clear. I'm ready to, you know, listen and be there and support them instead of me feeling like I have to do it. And when I moved it from me being an obligation of a have to to I want to or that I can, um,
0: it it changed my outlook overall. How happy was your husband? Well, first of all, he was kind of right. And yeah. <laughs> we all like to be right. You need to say Grace, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, th- this is a common conversation in all relationships about, Yeah, because I mean, he's right and we all know it. You're not, you never get that time back. And I have no problem telling people, you know, I can't do that at that time um, because I really like you and the opportunity, but I like my family more. Mm-hmm. And um, that's hard for people to wrap their minds around. I think, how? I mean, why did I have this family mm-hmm. if they weren't a top priority? Well, we both evaluated
1: ourselves. My husband used to work um, two jobs at one point, and you know, we evaluated ourselves and why we were doing it. And it was like, okay, well, if it's for finances, we can cut certain things. We can use coupons for certain things. We sat down and we really just had a conversation um it's an example like the things that i have put in my book i kind of used myself with me and my husband so we talked about um and he said you know i'm going to stop this job i'm going to get another job that where i have one job that's a better paying job Mm -hmm. um and i'm going to be more involved and i'm going to be there you know i'm going to be there in the evening so that we can have dinner all together and we can you know do things on the weekend and we can, you know, go on long trips if we want to go on a long trip, but I'm going to make sure that I make the changes. We reevaluated ourselves because our kid. we noticed that with our kids that, um, I look at like their behaviors and, and they weren't having any problems in school or anything like that, but I didn't want them to ever feel like when I talk to them, Oh, mommy has to get her, her tablet out. And I gotta wait for mommy to finish this tablet to talk to me. Um, I wanted them to know that they had my undivided attention and he wanted that at the same time. So we reevaluated ourselves. And when I went into my career, he also went to his career change. And um, now we're at a point where we give that time to our kids. So like. Right now, we're doing the, the session right now. Um, they're at
0: school. <laughs> so. Right. Right. And that's how, I mean, I set my hours from nine 30 in the morning because that's when the youngest is gone at nine Oh five. Mm-hmm. So usually I have that almost a half an hour to breathe and figure myself out. And then I am done. I will not schedule past 1.30 because if it's an hour and a half, I need to be done by three because that's when my kids walk in from the bus. So my schedule is my kid's schedule for the most part. There are some exceptions, but for the most part. And yeah, usually Fridays, Fridays are my lowest key day. So I I absolutely agree, and you know, you have to, women, especially women, we need to prioritize what's important, and I didn't have these kids for them to be the ones that needed to go to therapy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be terrible for you. (laughs) (laughs) So you've alluded to it, you've mentioned a couple times, you have a book coming out November 1st, which is coming right up. Yeah. So tell me all about this, because being a published author is a pretty big deal.
1: It is I you know this was a book that I really started the book originally because I when I give out uh when I work with my clients I give them homework you know and everybody's like oh you give out homework well I give you this because I don't want you to feel like the only day that you work on yourself is when you come into therapy for that 45 minute hour session that we have that's not enough you have to work on yourself every day um and so I used to give clients worksheets but I you know I was sitting down with one of my clients And um, I had to change the pronouns in a workbook that was for um, clients who were having postpartum uh, depression, postpartum anxiety um, and mood disorder. I'm sorry. Um, So I had to change the pronouns in the workbook. And I didn't like that.
0: And it irritated
1: me. And I would do that, not just with that workbook, I realized I was like, I was doing this with wedding um, material that I was using. If I got worksheets from other organizations that I felt were really good, um, I either had to change the pronouns or either the topics or either the, even the words. If the words were too big and I had a client who had um, an eighth grade education level, they're not going to be able to read a book that's you know has these really big words in it. Um, and so I got annoyed. I said, you know what? Somebody should just make a complete workbook that can be just for every type of population. Cause I work with polyamorous couples. They have their own workbooks um, that or worksheets in it and chapter where it talks about just in general, having an understanding and an agreement when you're looking for another partner um, and just the wording, just put in their partners instead of just a couple or, you know, Um, you and your husband, you and your wife. And that's how the workbook came up. So I pretty much was able to finish it in two months. It's over 200 pages of just worksheets that I have used. Um, And I actually had to stop myself from putting more in it. Um, And it's exciting. So I'm glad that I was able to finish. I have, let me show you a photo of it. I was glad they were in my little stickers. But I was glad I was able to finish it because in reality, it really needed to be done. It really, really needed to be done. Now people won't feel like that in order for them to get a premarital counseling workbook that um, they have to find it and scratch out certain pronouns or um, they have to, you know, look at it and say, oh, well, this is for a heterosexual couple. So, you know, it's a he and she pronoun in here, but we'll just scratch it off. It hurts people so it's
0: called before i do mm-hmm. and before
1: a- i do it's a um, complete premarital counseling workbook for heterosexual lgbtq and polyamorous uh couples
0: so you have different sections so if i bought it and i'm heterosexual compared to, su- to someone else that was a polyamorous couple we mm-hmm. would do different sections of the workbook is that how you did it no you can do the whole workbook um
1: okay. and the, basically i made it so that it's for everybody Um, There are topics in there, and it'll say in there, you know, for um, polyamorous couples. You can skip that question. Um, Talk about religion. So the chapters overall, um, there includes uh, marriage preparation. So we talk about expectations and assumptions in marriage. You know, we always assume, oh, I assumed my husband was going to cook dinner because he knew I was coming home late. You can't assume. You know, you have to communicate. Um, I talk about infidelity household roles in here, and we discuss, you know, if you're a person who's LGBTQ, your house, and you're, you were raised in an LGBTQ household, your roles will look different as opposed to a heterosexual uh, person, but you may not identify within that population, so understanding the expectation that your partner has um, chores, friendship. I talk about friendship in here. Again, I put a little bit of my life in here. <laughs> what if your friends become a problem in your marriage? What are you going to do then? Um, uh, sex and intimacy, the expectations of a sex and intimacy and what your partner wants, what your partner likes. I get a lot of couples who come in there and there are issues, are largely around sex and intimacy, children, and finances. And all of those things are talked about in this workbook. Um, Death and dying we talk about as well. Nobody wants to think about it, but it happens. It's a guarantee that we have in life. Um, Second marriages, we have a section on just for polyamorous partners, but anybody can do it because it talks about just having an understanding within um, your relationship of what type of rules and guidelines and boundaries you want to have. Um, disability and illness. So I have some issues that not most premarital counseling books talk about, but I talk about disability and illness. People get into car accidents. People get diagnosed with mental health illnesses. Um, a lot of people who are in the military. This is a section that they will work on as well if they, you know, do get become disabled. Um, <clears throat> personal space and quality time. I talk about it here. Yes, everybody needs and deserves their individual time. <laughs> Uh, I talk about interracial relationships, so being aware of your own internal bias that you may have with in regards to the race, if you notice that your family feels a certain way, Um, interreligious relationships, stepchildren, some people have stepchildren, have you even created a bond with that person or those children, Um, infertility, and I talk about uh, postpartum mood and anxiety disorder as well, because there's not a lot of support there when you before you get married, you don't think that that could happen to your partner um but it can, and I even have a a list in there about just acts of family members to hey, I know you want to hold the baby, but can you do the chores? Can you help clean up um <laughs> mm-hmm. in laws, I talk about that and the struggle there communication, having a military partner self esteem that's also a topic that is in there as a chapter on that because in our relationships sometimes when partners gain weight lose weight their self-esteem is attacked and that causes some issues it's like well they always talk bad about themselves and i'm sick of hearing it well how about you boost them up how about you be there to support them um and I also talk about domestic violence the reality of it is it does happen in relationships beforehand people get married and they say they were never like this they were like this from day one you just weren't aware um, that they were like this um, and then I talk about addiction as well. And then I also talk about suicide
0: so Those how are- <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I'd all- say that that's comprehensive <laughs> Holy cow. I mean, holy cow. I, I Am so impressed because I've never heard I didn't have an issue with postpartum depression for example mm-hmm. but I did go through infertility Mm-hmm. Like there's things that you just don't even know, you don't know to ask if you don't know to ask or talk about. Those are, there are a lot of subjects in there that you would never even think to ask because until yeah. it comes up, it's not an issue, but how are you going to handle it if it is an issue? Yeah. Holy cow. What did you want to add that you didn't, that you stopped <laughs> yourself? What's <laughs> book two? Olivia, tell me what book two is. <laughs> I can't, not yet. I got <laughs> It's
1: probably already gotten an extra 40 pages in book two. I go deeper into the topics. There's more worksheets that we talk about. There's more um, issues that, you know, is discussing with my clients whenever I meet with them. And if I give them worksheets, a lot of times I create it myself or either I try to find it from different places um, that don't meet all the expectations that I, I have. So um, I think like that. I love worksheets. I don't know why. I'm just a, a person that likes to do that type of hands on work. Um, and it, this is 200 pages worth of the item. So out of all of the chapters, which were majority of them, or the introduction the about a page each, the rest of it is just worksheet.
0: So, well, I love it because I am huge supporter. Um, we journal, Mm-hmm. we so we journal and I love journal programs our kids have little books that they even our seven-year-olds you know just write about your day I think that introspection that thought process about you and where you're at and your day and where you want to be and setting goals and like you said with therapy you're not you're not doing work for an hour a week mm-hmm. if that I mean if, yeah. if that's how much you're going to see to see a therapist And I think that some things can be done, especially in conjunction with a therapist. But you can continue that self improvement, that self care. That so I I understand the the I think the work pages, those you know having those done. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's guided journaling in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, for my coaching, I actually hired someone who she has a guided journaling that's her business and she mm-hmm. she did these pdfs for me because i sometimes we don't know what to write about yeah so you know worksheets that's a way to do guided journaling in a self improvement. how awesome is that but you're doing it for couples before they get married mm-hmm. that's and I had, I, when i sent out a um so i sent the draft out to a
1: lot of people mm-hmm. and Some of the couples that I sent them to were divorced, um, were currently married. So I wanted to get a viewpoint from all around. Um, And I was actually surprised. A lot of people who were divorced said, I actually read some of the questions to my ex and fixed an issue that we had (laughs) after we got divorced because I read it and then we talked about it and we asked each other the questions. It was like, well, if we would have known this, could we have still been married? Um, And even people who were married read it and said, I learned something about my partner I had no idea about. Um, So it's not just for people who, you know, go through premarital counseling. It's also for people, if you're even thinking about going and marrying somebody or asking somebody to get married, find out what their expectations are. It's mainly just finding out people's expectations, communicating with one another. um, And the more that you know about your partner, the more, the less likely you're going to have arguments that lead to or could potentially lead to divorce
0: I think I read an article once about prenups that were done that were not financial and it was like uh and and I don't know how true this is but it resonated with me so Bill Gates wife said that they had to have a date night once a week and that at a certain time of day he had to shut off all technology and I thought that was so interesting because we'll talk about prenuptial agreements all day long for finances. Mm-hmm. But we never talk about what being married is the biggest contract you can do with another person. Yep. That's not a very warm, fuzzy way to look at it, but it's the biggest contract you can do. It is the most intimate contract. And it's the one that we discuss the least. So if I'm getting hired from you, you're going to give me a job description. And we're going to sign it as an agreement that this is your part and this is my part and this is how we'll evaluate. And we never do that in relationships. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of the prenup agreement that's emotional, I, was, I thought, God, that's the best idea you could ever do in a relationship. And mm-hmm. you've pretty much, you've taken self-journaling and uh, pre-marriage therapy and emotional prenup and created a, a book about it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm totally in love with this idea. So we're, we all need to buy it November 1st. Uh, where are you going to be on Amazon? Um, I will be on Amazon, um, but
1: I'm actually selling it at a discounted rate on my website. Uh, which okay. It's www.life, liferevision um, where you can purchase the book and um, you can do also a pre-order. I'm having a launch that's actually going to be happening in um, Ellicott City, Maryland, um, where people can come and meet me and, you know, ask questions, but um, until then, um, they can purchase the book on the website. That is excellent. So how excited were your parents about this? Um, Well, you know, my dad was a little bit, (laughs) he was excited, but he wasn't too excited when he got to the sex and intimacy part. (laughs) Um, As everybody can imagine, he's like, what what's going on here? What type of questions are you? <laughs> Whereas my mom, she was thrilled. She was like, you know, this is this is really a good book. You know, these questions in here are good questions. And I have to remind my dad, like, dad, I, I'm I'm 33 year old th- 33 years old. I'm a grown woman. Like <laughs> I'm not a child. I have kids. So it's understandable that I would be able to answer this section without a problem. Um, but he, he still, I think he kind of skipped
0: over that whole part. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not going not gonna to read that part. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, because they're so into education and what you're doing is taking every population and giving them the opportunity to have a tremendous amount of education mm-hmm. in my yeah. mind. Yeah, and that part they were excited about. They really were. So when when you did your, when you sent the book out and you had people look into it, Mm -hmm. um and read it and give you feedback how much growth did you see this isn't this is worksheets and a book outside of therapy Mm -hmm. and a lot can be done in therapy but how much growth did you see in feedback how great was that it was great i mean everybody i was waiting
1: for the negative feedback but i didn't get the negative feedback i got a lot of positive feedback that was like this is very thorough and one person who um or the two people who were clinicians that read it, they were like, this could put me out of work, this book, because they don't need to come to me. They can just read the book. Um, And it's not really detailed as far as like big introduction sections. It's more of the worksheets and the questions, which all come up in therapy. So um, it really has, it surprised me. And, you know, I was actually really surprised by it because I didn't feel it, it was something that took me a long time to do. It didn't feel like it was something that I had a struggle with, you know, most book writers feel like they have a struggle But I just kept oh Well, how about this? Let me include this Let me include that and it was just came to me uh, Which let me know that this was the right thing to do
0: Well, it was also based on everything you were seeing with all of the people all of your patients Yes I mean, anything that was an issue in any therapy session would instantly be an opportunity for worksheets because it's a worksheet for them to continue their growth while they're not seeing you, like you Mm -hmm. said. And then, oh, well, it's an opportunity to have it in the book. And now, like you said, if you're creating all of them, why not compile them at the Mm -hmm. same time? This is so exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really exciting because I read the information about it, but I didn't. It didn't totally click until you were describing it. So how fantastic! So, Olivia, to wrap things up, people can find you at liferevisions Is that the easiest place? To, that's the easiest place to get the book. But is that the easiest place to connect with you?
1: Yeah, it is for right now. You can always send me an email at oldbaylor at liferevisions with an s at the end.com. dot com. Um, I'm in the process of having my um, own website created which is www.oliviabaylor.com so hopefully by time this airs it will be done um (laughs) but if not the life revisions website um so life revisions llc will be where you can access and you know if you have questions when i do speaking engagements if you want to find out about that i'm also on facebook facebook as well um i'm trying to get into the other places but i'm I think I'll stick
0: with Facebook. (laughs) Don't, don't, I always tell people, don't push, stick with what you're going to do and that you're good at. Don't worry about everything else. It's not, it's not hurting you now. So now will you also, as a side note, take therapy clients that are, that are not anywhere near Maryland? You said you do some of your stuff, but will you do that strictly? Well, um, the only people who are not
1: in Maryland that I'm allowed to see are like military individuals, and that's through their insurance company. Um, and that's primarily either it's through their insurance or um, it was somebody who I've seen and I, you know, have called their insurance and I've gotten special clearance for, and a call the board and got special clearance for them. Um, but other than that, they have to be within the state of Maryland. Um, I will travel to other states to do presentations on it. Um, But as far as clientele, I can't actually see clients who are outside of a state that I'm not licensed.
0: Got it. I just wanted to clarify that and make sure. Thank you so much for everything that you shared. I appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.